98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Five o'clock hour, the Burns and Gambo show. Time to head up to Las Vegas. Oh, I wish I was going to Las Vegas right now. That sounds kind of nice. But we're going to just go there via the telephone and check in with Vinny Bonsignor. He is the beat writer who covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review Journal. And he joins us here on the Burns and Gambo show. Vinny, I'm Dave. This is Gambo. Welcome to the show, man. We appreciate your time. How you doing? I'm doing really good. And to Gambo, um, just so you know, as a uh, as somebody that just moved to Las Vegas a couple of years ago, it's interesting to me how so many Italians uh, we end up in the desert. I don't know. I don't, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a New York Italian, right? So my father's born in Messina. Uh, system. There you so go. I, like I, I, I'm supposed to end up in Florida. Somehow I ended up in Arizona. I've been here since like '96. It's, it's interesting how that works out, Vinny. I'm not going to yeah. lie to you. I wasn't sure whether I was going to call you Bon Signor or Bon Signore. I, I was asking our producer a hundred times. Is it? Are you sure I got the pronunciation right? Because I wanted <laughs> to make absolute sure. I was saying the last name correctly. So uh, no, yes. you did. You did a great job. No, you know the correct is Bon Signore, but I don't expect people to uh, to do all that. Yeah. And, that would and, mean and, in Italian. Oh. That means good man. Exactly. Yes. Oh yes. Good man. I'm just going to. I'll yeah. be impressed if you know what my last name means. I don't. I. 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 I, I don't. You probably Italiano. You just speak a any bit. Italian? Just a little bit. Umpo, umpo. It means golden leg. Gambadoro means oh. golden leg. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Very good. So you learn something new every day. Absolutely. There you go. What can we learn about this Raiders team? What? How? What's their level of disappointment after week one? What's their level of desperation going into week two against the Cardinals, Vinny? I, you know, I think it's. I think it's definitely more uh, disappointment, um, but also. You know, nuanced and 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 more than uh, in perspective. Somebody had to win uh, game one. It was a hot, humid day uh, in Los Angeles. I can't believe I'm saying using uh, those adjectives to uh, to describe LA weather, but it was. Um, and it was a good against a really good team. And you know what? The Raiders made some uh, critical errors. You can't you can't throw three interceptions, especially if your defense is enforcing uh, turnovers. But at the end of the day. You know, they had the ball uh, with three minutes left down by five points uh, and were actually playing, you know, the, the momentum had, had switched to their side. So they, they, they walk away from Los Angeles saying, you know what, if, if not for a couple of errors, um, you know, the, an easy, a game that they could have won, uh, if they can just clean some of those things out. So desperation, I wouldn't, I wouldn't you know, uh, use that word right now. Uh, disappointment, yes, uh, but definitely raring to go to get back out there in front of their home crowd, uh, and, and, and show everybody what they're capable of doing. You know, we weren't disappointed that Chandler Jones left because, to be honest with you, he wasn't very good, you know, his last year here. He had a couple of good games, but most of the time he was he, he disappeared. Uh, my partner said it best the other day. It wasn't so much that Chandler left. It's that they didn't replace him. They really didn't get anybody to replace him. But just give me your thoughts. I mean, what did, what did the Raider fans and the Raider hopeful think that they were getting when, when you spent all that money on Chandler Jones? Well, I think the good news for the Raiders is that he wasn't being counted, and I don't think he's being counted on uh, to be the answer. I think the answer is over on the other side, number 98, Max Crosby. And so they, they feel like they're getting somebody, albeit, um, you know, at the, uh, the the second stage of his career, maybe not the same guy that he was two, three years ago, four years ago, but somebody as a compliment to Max Crosby, who's, uh, you know, on the, on the up, uh, is going to be able to be somebody that teams have to account for. We'll get his numbers, um, you know, provided he stays healthy. He might not be the Chandler Jones that we that that, that we know and remember, 
but as a secondary piece opposite somebody like uh, Max uh, Crosby, uh, can definitely give them what they need. So uh, I don't think there's expectations that he's going to get 20 sacks, 17 sacks. Uh, but if he could get right around 10, 11, 12, uh, but also consistently get pressure on the quarterback, play the run as well, be a veteran presence, which he definitely is uh, in the in the locker room, and help free up other guys to uh, to get their numbers too, including Max. Uh, that it would have been money well spent. Vinny Bonsignor, he is the beat writer who covers the Raiders for the Vegas Review Journal, our guest here on the Burns and Gambo Show, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Maybe the big question is just reading all the stories coming out of Vegas after week one. The the, the pressure that Derek Carr was under in that game, now granted a lot of that's Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, they're obviously terrific and and will be terrific, but the rotating offensive line, and, and I read where Josh McDaniels is planning on doing that again this week. What's been the reason behind that, and and do you think it will be better this week? It probably has to be better because the Cardinals don't have much of a pass rush. What's been the reason behind that offensive line? Well, uh, to answer that question, um, they just feel like they still need a couple of games um, to figure out the right side of the offensive line. Uh, A couple of things happened in training camp. Number one, uh, well, Alex Leatherwood just completely, uh, you know, uh, just did not accept uh, the challenge of competing for his job, he's gone. Um, as training camp went on, Thayer Munford, the rookie from Ohio State, started emerging as the likely starter, but then he got hurt, um, missed the last two preseason games, a whole bunch of practices, wasn't cleared until August 31st. So um, they, they weren't able to get it solidified in training camp because of that injury. So it kind of continued into the regular season. Uh, and then on top of that, Dylan Parham, the rookie, uh, from Memphis, the third-round pick, started coming along big time uh, in training camp and started pushing Lester Cotton for the starting job at right guard. They just weren't ready to uh, to make that, you know, uh, definitively, that, that decision definitive. Uh, so they gave it another game uh, for for them to kind of, you know, sort sort through it uh, a little bit. Now, here's here's the thing. The right side of the offensive line played really well on uh, on Sunday. Not great, but it played better than the left side. And so I think that, um, they, they liked what they saw from the right side, even with the rotation. It was the left side, Colton Miller, having an unusually bad game. He really never plays that, that, that poorly, but he did. Um, that's what needs to kind of get uh, cleaned up. And on top of that, they, did, they didn't do a good job on blitz pickup. Josh uh, Jacobs, Amir Abdullah had bad games uh, in that phase. Uh, Darren Waller missed an easy block. Uh, and that led to a sack of Devontae Adams, of all people. But but they feel like um, they're going to get it squared away. And, and you know, I know that people have talked about, wow, this has never happened. Wow, this is unusual. But I think Josh McDaniels is looking at it as just because it hasn't happened before or just because this isn't uh, a normal approach shouldn't be the reason he doesn't do what he feels he needs to do for these first couple of weeks of the season to really nail down uh, what the right side of the offensive line looks like. Here's one little monkey wrench uh, into the whole equation, though. Their center, Andre James, uh, suffered a concussion on yeah. Sunday. Um, I don't know what his status is right now, but um, it's probably, I would say, doubtful. They haven't made that you know uh, declaration just yet. And if he can't go, then there's a chance that Dylan Parham, the right guard, is going to play center. He cross-trained at that position throughout training camp. They prepared for a moment like this uh, by doing that. Kind of projects better as a as a center that that he does a guard, so that might be his long range position anyway. So if that happens and Parham has to play has to play center, then that changes the whole dynamic of the rotation. Maybe Lester Cotton uh, plays exclusively at right guard, and we'll see what happens at right tackle. I would expect Thayer Munford and Jermaine Illuminar 
at right tackle to continue to uh, switch on and off a little bit in that game. Those targets for Devontae Adams, man, I, you know, I, I don't know if we expected that many, but Hunter Renfro, who was great for you guys last year, had 103 receptions. He didn't, he didn't have a ball thrown his way, I think, until like late in the third quarter. So is that something that they need to figure out, or you think this is going to be a heavy Devontae Adams every single week? Yeah, I think that um, I, I, I'm with you. I think that they need to um, you know, balance it out a little bit. And they started doing that in the second half. Um, it wasn't just Hunter. Uh, also, Darren Waller got more involved uh, in the second half, caught a big pass to get him into scoring uh, position uh, to make it a 24-19 game. So I think that, you know, in, in, in Derek's defense, you know, he and Devontae Adams are literally best friends, and this goes back a long way. And they've been talking about this reunion for years. Um, it's something that they were planning on and trying to hope for and trying to make happen. And, you know, this is their first game back Sunday was. Uh, in a, you know, together since college, and it was there was a lot of anticipation for this. I would imagine that Derek was a little geeked up. He kind of gets like that sometimes, um, and maybe overdid it a little bit uh, in terms of Devontae. Although saying that, it's hard. You know, you can almost make a justif- ju- justified argument to get him the ball every time. He's that good. Yeah. Uh, but I do think for the Raiders' purposes, um, they need to balance it out a little bit and and get Hunter more involved again and Devon- and uh, Darren more involved again. And if he if they do, which I think they will, it's going to be a, a scary kind of an offense trying to decide as a defensive coordinator who to take out uh, each week because there's a bunch of guys on this team that can that can make you pay for that kind of a decision. Vinny, we appreciate the time. Thank you for coming on. You are a good man for joining us. <laughs> You're a good man. For Thank joining you very us much. Today. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. We'll see you guys out here. Sounds good, Vinny Von Senior from the Las Vegas Review uh, Journal, the Raiders beat report. I thought you'd like that game, boy. I threw that in there just for you. Joining bon us here, Senore. Uh, He's on, a good, good man on the Arizona Sports Line. When we come back on Burns and Gambo, Adam Silver made the ultimate decision to punish Robert Sarver. Behind the scenes, does he still have time to correct that decision if he feels like he needs to? We'll talk about that coming up. Burns and Gambo. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. I think maybe the best article I've read so far about this whole Robert Sarver situation and the Phoenix Suns as we welcome you back to the Burns and Gambo. And I, I, I'm sure Gambo's got his two, and maybe it's the same one. Came from John Hollinger today on The Athletic. There, there was just something about it that uh, it, it, was mu- it was as much about Adam Silver as it was about Robert Sarver. Maybe that was part of it. But he really got after Adam Silver for that press conference yesterday, calling it the worst moment of Silver's tenure as NBA commissioner, the way he handled it, the way he misread the room, the way he answered some of the questions. But in the end, Gambo, his conclusion was pretty simple. He got it wrong. They got it wrong with Robert Sarver. But Adam Silver is now on the clock. In his words, quote, you have one year to get Robert Sarver all the way out of your league. And he writes, if that wasn't obvious in the immediate reaction to Tuesday's announcement of a wrist slap punishment, it sure as heck was obvious following Silver's disastrous news conference on Wednesday, which only added fuel to that fire. It was a pretty strong column that Hollinger wrote today. It was. Listen, I think he's generally regarded as the best commissioner in the four major sports. I don't think there's any question about that, especially especially what he did in the pandemic year with the bubble and making that whole thing work. And uh, he was phenomenal. I mean, he's been a 
terrific commissioner, as was David Stern. I know a lot of fans here hate David Stern, but David Stern was great for the NBA, and Adam Silver has been great for the NBA. So I do think he's the best commissioner in, in, the, in the sports. But I do think there's almost like a like, – what do they call it with crimes? Like double jeopardy or something? Like where you can't like uh, you can't punish con- the same crime you twice? You can't convict somebody of the same crime twice or something like that. Yes. Is that double jeopardy? Is that what it's called? I believe that's double jeopardy, yes. Yeah, I, I, I loved Hollinger's piece because it kind of took it in a different direction. But I don't know that there's anything more that Adam Silver can do, in my opinion. He came down with the punishment. One year, you're away. You, you have nothing to do with the organization. $10 million fine. And he said all the reasons why. He said, I can't take the guy's franchise away from him. So for somebody to say, you're on the clock now. You've got a year to get rid of him. I, I mean, I respect Hollinger, but how? Like, what? Like, it's it's Robert Sarver's being tried right now in the court of public opinion with fans, with the media, with players, with sponsors and advertisers, and with and with uh, minority owners of the team. That, I don't. That's that's it. I mean, Adam Silver did what he did, and then he punted the ball. I don't know that he has. There's anything that he could do in the next year because, like to me, it's that double jeopardy thing. You've already handed out your punishment. Yeah, I I understand what you're saying, and, and I don't have. I honestly don't have a great answer to say. Well, here's what he could do I, because I think most of it would be behind the scenes. You know, most of it would be off the grid, off the radar. It would be behind the scenes pressuring. Uh, if he really wanted to get Robert out of the league, right? Behind the scenes pressuring of the other minority owners to do something about this. Behind the scenes pressuring of league sponsors to do something about this. If he really wanted him out that badly, uh, having somebody basically lined up ready to go to buy the team if he was able somehow to convince Robert Sarver, hey, look, a year from now, this is not going to get any better for you. You're, you're, you know, a year from now, you come back and the embarrassment's still going to be there and it's going to be almost impossible for your organization to function normally with you in charge. Why don't you just do everybody a favor and, and sell the team? Those would be imagined conversations that maybe he could have behind the scenes. Would they be effective? I have no idea. I don't know if that stuff would work, but I, I get the impression that's kind of what Hollinger is suggesting suggesting here. Here is that it would have to be some behind-the-scenes manipulation, which, let's be honest, commissioners do uh, in all the sports leagues, right? It's would not, he have done it now? I don't know. That's a good question. Would he have already done it? Maybe, maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't because he truly misread how bad the reaction was going to be to yesterday. Like maybe he really didn't have a sense how outraged everybody was going to be that it was only a year. And maybe now that he's seeing that, he's like, oh, okay, I misread this. And this is worse than I thought. And I need to do something now because I misjudged how people were going to react to this. I don't know. Again, I'm just speculating on how he might be reacting to this behind the scenes. Yeah, I'd almost be surprised if he wasn't. Because he did, I mean, he did in some ways seem ill-prepared to answer some of the questions. Which was unusual. Yes. So is it possible that he wasn't? You know, aware that that he thought that maybe this strong of a punishment would be enough, and people would be okay with it. I mean, maybe, maybe he did misread the pot. Maybe, and and in fact, that's kind of a roundabout way a point that Hollinger makes in the story that maybe the disastrous press conference yesterday, by making the situation worse, by exposing some of the things that got exposed yesterday, you know, owners getting preferential treatment over employees, et cetera, et cetera, that by having such a bad press conference about it. 
that that's going to take public opinion that normally would have been pretty bad and turn it into really bad. You know, like like Silver, not, and not that Silver deliberately did it, but by misreading the room the way he did, maybe Silver, in a roundabout way, sped up the process of people getting mad enough at Robert that he will step down, that he will sell the team. Again, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if any of that comes to pass, but it, it, you're right. He did seem ill-prepared for questions that he probably should have known were coming, right? Right. right. It did, and it's very unusual because he's a very well-spoken guy. He presents himself very well. Um, some of the look, the, the fact that they, you know, the, the press secretary had to come out and say he didn't mean to say that. Yeah, is you know some you know you don't you're not used to that with Adam Silver. They had to kind of clarify some of his remarks to say he doesn't believe that owners are above the law and that they need to be treated like employees because it definitely came out like he felt that the owners were above the law and they had a different set of rules to go by than employees. Earlier in the show, if you missed it, you made the point it was almost like a press secretary coming out and saying, "Well, I know the president said this." But what he really meant was that, you know, the president didn't mean to say it that way. And when Adam Silver and we played the comment on the air yesterday extensively, when he made that comment about how, you know, it's it's that an owner is exists with a different set of rules that employees of an NBA franchise do. And when he answered the question that way, he that might have been. Pure honesty, but the way he phrased it just—it sounded so bad. And I think the NBA recognized immediately. Yeah, we, we can't have that out there on the public record. So they came out and they try to—they try to change it. I don't know. I, I is Adam Silver after what happened yesterday going to do anything behind the scenes to try to remove Robert Sarver as owner of the Phoenix Suns? I don't know. But this was a pretty strongly worded column that suggests he should. Right, right, and I think the the now, but again, I think to put the pressure back on Adam Silver after he already like spent a nine months with an investigation and then coming up with a punishment, yeah, and now to put it back to it, it's like you punt the ball and then instead of going for a second, third down, I'm just going to punt it back to you. No, no, now you've got to see what's going to happen with the other team on first down, second down, third down. If they could, you've got to like we know who's going to have a say in this now to put to me it just seemed a little and I did enjoy the story because it was a different twist to it but I thought it seemed a little odd that you were almost put the pressure back on Adam Silver like it's it's still in in your court as to what's going to happen when he's already come down with his punishment well said Vance Joseph today was aware of the communication breakdown on Sunday he says it's not just one guy's fault and we all know who the one guy is we'd be talking about here we'll get into that next Burns and Gambo 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Something that, as the driver here, I've been meaning to bring up, and it just seems like every time I wanted to, I, I either skipped past it or we just ran out of time. There was somebody else who commented on the Robert Sarver suspension, and yeah. that was the mayor of the city of Phoenix, Kate Gallego, along with one... Two, three, four, five, I think, different council members. Four, five. I'm looking at the release here. Um, 
We, like many others in the community, are appalled by the actions substantiated in the NBA's independent investigation and Robert Sarver. We're extremely disappointed. Um, I'm going to cut right to the chase here. Quote, we have asked the city staff to investigate any actions we as leaders of the city of Phoenix can take in light of the details substantiated in the report. Close quote. Yes. Yes. Very, very interesting. Yeah. City of Phoenix uh, letterhead, joint statement uh, between the mayor and some council members. And that was released today. And uh, me and Mayor Kate, we both follow each other on Twitter. So I saw that. uh, But I thought that was interesting. We have asked city staff to investigate any actions we as leaders of the city of Phoenix can take in light of the details substantiated in the report that will be fascinating to see i haven't even thought about that angle right i'm not that wasn't an angle i thought about was you know what does the city think of this what do you know what do they i'm not sure that they can do anything but they're going to at least look into it yeah i don't know what they could do and to sit here and speculate on what maybe what options they would have in front of them i don't know i i i don't and so i would sound foolish even speculating i i will point out as our friend greg esposito pointed out on twitter the, the Phoenix Suns did get a quarter of a billion dollars from the city to renovate Footprint Center. Uh, I don't know if that gives them any kind of jurisdiction in this or the power to do anything to the Suns or to Robert Sarver, but there was that business arrangement between the city of Phoenix and the Suns organization to pay for the renovations with the with the Footprint Center. I, I, I don't know what that has anything to do with anything, but that letter is out there. Uh, Kate Gallego... Uh, um, uh, released that statement and it's been retweeted by a few of the members of, of the media who cover the Phoenix Suns. So we'll see. We'll see where that story goes and we'll see what they're able to do. So just wanted to pass that along. I've been meaning to bring that up, I swear, for the last 45 minutes and we've just had a really busy day here on the Burns and Gambo show. So I apologize for not bringing it up sooner. Vance Joseph, as he does every Thursday, defensive coordinator of the Cardinals meeting with the media, uh, said in his words, the entire thing failed on Sunday against the Chiefs. Obviously, our guys want to win, you know, so it's not a lack of one to and, and, and it wasn't. Guys were playing hard and trying to make plays, but it was a it, it, it was a lack of of awareness and alignments and leverage and all those things, you know. So the entire thing failed. And it wasn't every play, it was probably you know, 14 to 15 plays. But in a football game, that's a lot of plays to make errors, and especially on critical downs, right? Second and 10, second and 13, we're making mistakes. Third down, fourth and two, you know. So playing your best ball in those moments is always key. You know, if you have 15 bad plays in a game, it can be 44 points. Yeah, Vance Joseph's got, and, and by the way, I'm watching a game here on my laptop in the studio, Gambo. I know you're working from home. It's 3 I'm, nothing. I'm watching it right now, too. Yeah, 3 nothing Chargers right now in the first quarter of the game. But Vance Joseph, and he he went on to say it wasn't just Isaiah Simmons. It wasn't just him that had the communication issues. It wasn't just him. It was just a total operation of playing fast, hearing the hearing the calls, hearing the personnel, knowing your job, you know, matching their routes, you know, and that that obviously was the biggest issue for us on defense, you know. And again, the, the operation wasn't tested before that game, you know, so we had no idea how it was going to look. I was hoping it was going to look good because in practice it looked great, but in practice it's it's, it's no stress, right? It's a it's a controlled environment. And I thought the operation killed us. You know, along with them being very good, you know, and that that's obviously that's a that's a double uh, edged sword. We'll see how better it gets on Sunday. It's probably the top thing to watch in Sunday's game against Vegas.
Yeah, there's no question. I mean, that was a defense that had no sacks, a defense that had no interceptions, a defense that, you know, I mean, there were a lot of question marks. That defense got torched. Patrick Mahomes threw five touchdown passes. I mean, that game was over very quickly. First drive, 11 plays, touchdown. Second drive, eight plays, touchdown. Third drive, 11 plays, touchdown. There was no no resistance. There was no resistance from the defense. And you're not going to win many football games. You know, when you ask ask your offense to have to score every time they get the ball, that was the only way they were going to win that football game is if the offense scored every time they got the ball because that's what Kansas City was doing. Yeah. Campbell, I'm going to change gears on you here, and I don't mean to spring this on you, but I'm I'm listening to you and I'm playing these cuts, but I'm also reading a tweet from Dwayne Rankin. He is the beat writer who covers the Phoenix Suns for azcentral.com. He has obtained and is tweeting out John Jaffe's open letter to Phoenix Suns employees okay. and players in reaction to the findings. Okay. It's the it's, it's four or five different tweets, so with all due respect, I'm going to cut to the end because that's kind of the, the big part here. He writes, I cannot in good judgment sit back and allow our children and future generations of fans to think that this behavior is tolerated because of wealth and privilege. Therefore, in accordance with my commitment to helping eradicate any form of racism, sexism, and bias, as vice chairman of the Phoenix Suns, I am calling for the resignation of Robert Sarver. While I have no interest in becoming the managing partner, I will work tirelessly to ensure the next team steward treats all stakeholders with dignity, professionalism, and respect. Close quote. There it is. That is exactly John Najafi. This is exactly what I said two days ago. Wait for this. John Najafi has opposed Robert Sarver for years. Robert has been trying to buy him out for four years. He's got a lot of power. He. This is the guy. This is the guy who has the most, you know, play and power. I think out of all the other owners. So. This is what we, we, me and you, we, we hinted about this for a while, for a couple of days now. I am calling for the resignation of Robert Sarber. So now, these two guys, they don't, they don't get along. They yeah. don't like each other. Robert Sarber and John the job. Now, John's got a brother. Francis Najafi, who is also a part owner of the Phoenix Suns. But I don't think that the two brothers are even on the best of terms as far as I don't think they have any business dealings with each other anymore. They're involved in, you know, opposite things. But this was the next big shoe to drop. And there it is. And it's a doozy. Make no mistake about it. This is a big one. You have a you have an owner, an owner of the Phoenix Suns that is calling for the resignation of the principal owner. Yep. How much support does he have is going to be the big question. And I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a break here on the Burns and Gambo show. But when we come back, we're going to stay on this for a few minutes before we preview tonight's Diamondbacks game. One of the minority owners of the Phoenix Suns is calling for the resignation of Robert Sarver. How much support might he have in his efforts? We'll talk about that coming up next on the Burns and Gambo show. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. All right, again, circling back to something that just came down, and want to thank Dwayne Rankin, beat writer who covers the Suns for AZ Central, for passing this along via Twitter. A series of four tweets, an open letter from Suns Vice Chairman Jean Najafi. 
The gentleman whom Gambo has been talking about for the last couple of days since the news broke about Robert Sarver and his year-long suspension as being the guy who has most opposed Robert Sarver within the ownership group of the Phoenix Suns. John Najafi wrote an open letter to the employees and players of the Phoenix Suns. Dwayne Rankin has posted that letter on his Twitter account. I want to read some of it to you and then reiterate the most important part of the letter. He writes, due to the NBA's investigations and findings, I have no choice but to speak up on behalf of the hundreds of you that have been impacted by your interactions with Robert Sarver. I first and foremost want to give my deepest thanks to all of you who garnered the courage to share your experiences, as difficult as it may have been, to help piece together a clear picture of what work life must have been like for you over these past 18 years. I'm going to fast forward to part three. Similar conduct by any CEO, executive director, president, teacher, coach, or any other position of leadership would warrant immediate termination. The fact that Robert Sarver, quote, owns, close quote, the team does not give him a license to treat others differently than any other leader. The fact that anyone would find him fit to lead because of this, quote, ownership, close quote, position is forgetting that NBA teams belong to the communities they serve. Fast forward to part four. Therefore, in accordance with my commitment to helping eradicate any form of racism, sexism, and bias as vice chairman of the Phoenix Suns, I am calling for the resignation of Robert Sarver. While I have no interest in becoming the managing partner, I will work tirelessly to ensure the next team steward treats all stakeholders with dignity, professionalism, and respect. Yes. Um, John is the partner that they have been trying to buy out for years. He has um, he has had issues with Robert. They have spent four years trying to buy him out. They could never agree on a price. He is uh, resisted, um, from what I've heard, resisted everything, and they just they don't get along. His brother is also a partner, um, and none of those partners, along with a new partner from Texas, a more recent new partner, um, those are the ones that were that did not feel comfortable signing the new partner um, letter of support for Robert Sarver. So the three principal owners that I know of was was John the Joffe. The brother Francis, and then um, another owner from Texas that I don't know his name. Um, I think it was maybe it was uh, John London. Maybe John London was the guy. Yeah, I'm just looking at my notes here. John the Joffe, Francis the Joffe, John London are the partners that I have that did not um, that did not support Robert in that statement. Now, going back to what we said two days ago, there's probably language in the partnership agreement that allows John Najafi to kind of force the issue and see if they could vote Robert Sarver out, if they could wrest control from him, if they could force him to sell his shares and have somebody else take over. But it's interesting that the, the thing that's – because I know a lot about this situation. I'm going to tell you what's, what stands out to me. Him saying that he's not interested in being the principal owner. Because that's in there, correct? I have no interest in becoming the managing partner. I will work tirelessly to ensure the next team steward treats all stakeholders with dignity, professionalism, and respect. He's not, he he doesn't want the job. I mean, he's making that clear that he doesn't, he doesn't want to be Robert Sarver. He just doesn't want Robert Sarver to be in charge of the Phoenix Suns anymore. Yeah, this is a really, really wealthy man, like much more wealthier than I believe even Robert Sarver, like much wealthier. There's always 
always been a thought that he would want to buy the team. If the team, like if the, if they decide to just sell the whole team, he just might buy it because he has a lot of money and he has had interest from what I've been told from other people really close to this situation is that he has had interest in buying the team. Um, so for me, but I don't think he's well liked by the other partners. That's the question to me. Is okay. We, we, to be honest with you, I think we kind of knew that something like this was coming from John Najafi, just because we knew that he and Server have have been on opposite sides for a while now. The question is, how much support does he have? Right? How much? How much interest is there among the other minority owners to sort of join him in light of what's going on? And that's why this story will continue to. Evolve because we don't know. We we don't know the answer to that question. But but that that is now the next question. John Jaffe has come out and said, "This is what I believe. This is what I believe should happen." How much support does he have in that? That is the big question. That becomes the big yeah, question. Yeah, not surprising. I mean, I listen. He's correct in in condemning Robert's behavior, but um, again, I don't think he would have the support of the other owners, and that could be why he is saying. And I'm just trying to read it right now off of Dwayne Rankin's uh, piece. I think that's why he's saying that he doesn't have any interest. And that's why he he has no interest in becoming the managing partner. So that's why he might be saying that because he knows he just doesn't have the support there. Yeah. uh, Baxter Holmes, the ESPN reporter who broke the story initially a year ago, just retweeted the quote. I am calling for the resignation of Robert Sarver. We will we will continue to follow this story and watch it very closely because obviously these developments are just the kind of things that we've been wondering if they were going to happen or not. Keep it right here at 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station throughout the course of the day tomorrow. We'll keep you completely updated. Let's get you ready for Diamondbacks baseball coming up next. The home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball is 98.7 FM Arizona's sports station. We're checking in on the D-backs as they warm up for the game's first pitch. D-backs on deck. Brought to you by 72 Sold. Get thousands more on your home with no inconvenience. Visit 72sold.com and by Sonic. This is how we Sonic. Stop by your nearest location today for the Sonic Chop House Cheeseburger. For a limited time only at Sonic. After dropping a series against the LA Dodgers, the Diamondbacks open up a new one tonight at home against the San Diego Padres. And first pitch is coming up in about 40 minutes, 640 right here. Flagship home of the Diamondbacks, 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. Your pitching matchup for tonight's game between the D-backs and the Padres is brought to you by Native Interiors. Your floors, your way. Text the word floors to 620-620 for more info. The lefty Sean Manaya gets the start for the Padres Gambo. Dre James one of the top pitching prospects in the Diamondbacks organization, making his major league debut tonight. Yeah, yeah the D-backs, they, they selected him. It's, uh, it, it's an exciting time for this organization because even though his numbers were not great in the minors, he's got all the makings of being a starter in this rotation. He's got a career minor league ERA of 5.29, believe it or not. He'll be the third Arizona top 15 pitching prospect to make their debut this year along with Nelson and Henry. So the third one that's a top 15 prospect that's going to be making their debut. Despite the shaky numbers, 
numbers, the organization believes that his other numbers, his his you know his other stats are telling a different story. That it goes beyond ERA, it goes beyond the struggles that he's had in the Pacific Coast League because that's very much a hitter's league. They're looking at other pitch data that suggests he is very much ready for this moment. He's a hard thrower, probably the hardest throwing starter they have in their entire minor league system. He really brings it. He's a velocity guy. We'll see how that velocity plays tonight. Really looking forward to this start. Your MLB standings, they're driven by Trucks Only, the Valley's number one independent dealer and home of the lifetime engine warranty. Starting play today, the Arizona Diamondbacks, 10 and a half games out of the final wild card spot. The Padres holding on to that final wild card spot, Gambo. They've got a two-game lead over Milwaukee for the last wild card spot in the NL. Yeah, so big game for them tonight. You know, big game for them. So they've got the, they approach the, the Diamondbacks could play a little spoilers here on the Padres. No doubt about it. Your On the Farm report is brought to you by Redbird Farms. You can't put a price on great taste tonight in the Diamondbacks minor league system. Reno and Sacramento are tied 1-1. Amarillo and San Antonio, they're in the bottom of the fourth. They are scoreless. Let's get you a key to tonight's game. I need you to be the key master. I am the key master. D-backs keys to the game, presented by Mist America, home of the patented Mist 360 outdoor cooling system. Visit mistamerica.com today for a cooler tomorrow. Just a couple of weeks ago, they gave uh, Sean Manaya the ball against the Dodgers. He gave up eight runs, nine hits, and three home runs in four and a third innings. He's got a 7.01 ERA over his last 14 starts. He was actually taken out of the rotation and just put back in uh, temporarily, I think, because they're playing six games in six days. The key is get to Manaya early and rattle him. Yeah, and then, of course, the key will just be watching Jamison as well and, and to see how he adjusts. Does he adjust as well as Tommy Henry did in his Major League? debut, Ryan Nelson, how he did in his, how he continues to do in his Major League debut. A lot of eyes around the organization, around baseball, going to be Andre Jamison to see how he follows in their footsteps. We'll, of course, talk about that tomorrow. We'll talk more about, obviously, what's going on with the Phoenix Suns and the strongly worded letter by John Najafi. All of that coming up tomorrow. That's going to do it for us. We are out of here. We'll see you tomorrow straight up 2 o'clock here on the Burns and Gambo Show. Have a great night everyone. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Get the car.